0: amen he is alive and i want you to know today that i love y'all and i'm very excited to be here this morning and i'm thankful that you're here this morning Uh, we (laughs) thank you love you and uh, we have a great church here and it's a wonderful thing um speaking of that um uh, next sunday is easter sunday And um, next Sunday we're going to worship here. And um, as the body of believers, I hope that uh, we will reach out to our our neighbors and invite them to come and and, uh, worship our resurrected Lord. Um, We've made this uh, simple for us. Um, What we want to do is um, on this back table back here, there's some packets like this. And they have uh, neighborhoods that are marked off in here. And there's a, there's a postcard in here. that has the information about our church on the front and on the back. And what we'd like you to do is we'd like you to take one of those packets and pass those cards out. If you want to go to the, the neighborhood uh, that's listed here, great. If you want to pass them out other places around town, you can do that too. But um, we just want to get the word out. What we're planning on is we're going to have a worship service inside on Easter Sunday. And the very next week, we're going to worship outside under the pavilion. Okay? So what we want to do is we want to invite them to come and worship with us inside. And we also want to come and invite them to worship with us outside. Okay? Um, I've been here, pastor here for almost ten years, nine and a half years. And... um, This is the first time we've worshipped outside like that on a Sunday morning. So, you know, if you do the math, I mean, that's like 450 services that we've done in here. Okay? I think if we take it outside the building, uh, that's probably a good thing. So, um, let's, uh, let's invite people, get the word out. It wouldn't hurt my heart at all if all those packets were gone at the end of this service. But, you know... Sometimes people ask, they say, well, what can we do to help? What can we do to to come alongside, take a packet, and pass it out? I mean, we've made it simple. Um, And yeah, it may uh, be a little bit of a sacrifice of some time. Uh, Who knows, you may meet some people. Uh, You may meet some wonderful people and have some good, meaningful conversations about what God has done for each one of us. But uh, if you will do that, we will, we will uh, worship next week and, and, and the week following. I know we're going to have a great time in the Lord. And so if you will invite people to come, uh, we would love that. Um, also this week, um, I don't know uh, if the announcement was made or not. We have King Agers on Thursday. Uh, ...at 10.30, so uh, if you're a senior adult and you want to come and play some games with us... ...and enjoy some good fellowship and food together... ...they meet in the fellowship hall at 10.30 on, on Thursday morning. And um, I hope that you will come and be a part of that as well. This morning we're going to be in uh, Mark chapter 11. And if you have your Bible and want to open up to that... ...I want to tell you a brief story before I begin uh, with reading the scripture. But you know, there was a, there was an actor uh... who was who was playing the role of jesus in the passion play uh... out in the ozarks in missouri and and uh, he was he was playing the part of jesus and uh... as the as he was walking up the hill uh... one of the carrying the cross one of the tourists there uh... started heckling him and uh... it was just more than he could take and uh... Eventually, the guy just kept it up, and, and so he, he laid the cross down, and he went over, and he punched the guy right in the mouth. Couldn't handle it. The guy was heckling him. So, you know, afterwards, after the, the, the play was over, the director pulled him aside, and he said, look, we can't have you out there punching people, okay? We need Jesus to carry the cross and to do the part, but we can't have Jesus out there punching people, and... Um, the guy said, "Okay, okay, I'll try to do better next time." And so the next night, uh he's carrying the cross and there's that same heckler, only this time he's a little bit more obnoxious. And the guy just can't stand it. He he just throws the cross down, he goes over and he punches the guy. He just can't deal with it. And so um you know, the the director afterwards he comes to him and he he he, he basically said, "That's it, you're fired. I can't I can't have Jesus punching people in the crowd. It's not going to work." And so uh he goes back to him, and, and he says, I'm really sorry. I, I promise I won't ever let it happen again. I feel bad about it. I just, I just got to get a grip on my, on my emotions. And so uh, he goes to the guy, and, and um, the next day, the, the heckler is back, and he's just as fierce as ever. And, and the guy is doing everything he can do to hold it in. He wants to go over there and, 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 and punch him, but he, he's holding it in. And uh, it gets so bad. The director's watching to see what's going to happen. And the guy kind of walks over almost to the heckler and he says, You just wait till after the resurrection, buddy. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's huge. But that, I think a lot of times we do that. We act that same way towards people. And, and I say that because like that actor, you and I represent Jesus Christ to the world. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is one who's been given the authority to be the messenger or to be a representative of another. And that means that you and I have an extremely important responsibility of how we live our lives. That we need to live our lives in such a way that we bring glory and honor to the one who has given us the authority and the power to speak on his behalf. See, as Christians, you and I are personally responsible for our Christian influence on others. It was made very evident yesterday. In the beautiful influence. That Diane Grizel's had in our world. Folks, we need to learn from that. We need to see that example. And we need to live up to that. Follow along with me in Mark chapter 11. Mark 11 Beginning in verse 1, it says, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send uh, it back here. Verse 4. Then they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were uh, were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Loving Father, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that you would, um, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide and would show us the truth of, of your word to us. Father, that you would just show us where we fall short. And Father, that that you would convict our hearts. Father, I pray that you would just open us up before you. And God, that we would desire more of you and less of us. Father, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was something new. It was something exciting. There was a parade ...going on that day. The parade was forming. Everyone started to run to see what was happening. You know, that excitement of, of what's getting ready to happen. There's, there's something going on. And people were beginning to run. And other people were trying to see over, over the crowd. They were, they were looking. And, and, and little children were, were probably climbing be beneath their, their parents' legs... ...and looking, trying to see what all the commotion was about. And on that day... Everyone saw it. There was a man who was riding on a young donkey. And they were, there were people running and racing in front of him and throwing their coats down and, and, and branches, palm branches in front of him in the path of the donkey. And people began to shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed be the one who comes in the name of of, of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. They were thinking this was a coronation ceremony of Jesus. This was the time. As Jesus rode toward the gate of the city, the crowds began to grow. And there was this festive mood as, as people were arriving. These travelers were arriving for the Passover in Jerusalem, the biggest festival of all, the big one, every year they're, they're coming and they're, they're, they're pilgriming to Jerusalem for this great festival, the Passover. Even before Jesus arrives, news has spread that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He wasn't even to the city yet and news was spreading. This was the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. He's got a power over the death and over the grave. He can do that. He can raise people from the dead. You can imagine the excitement in the air. Surely only Messiah can do that. Surely this must be the the Son of God because only He could do that. And then Jesus looked over the audience and must have seen a mixture of expressions on the faces. You think about those who loved Him. Perhaps Bartimaeus, the one who was blind that could now see. Maybe Zacchaeus, The tax collector, the greedy one who had who had stolen from people and his sins had been forgiven by the master. They were there. Maybe the lepers that he cleansed. Maybe Jairus' daughter was there. Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Mary Magdalene. All of these people who loved him were there. Watching, seeing what was going on. Their lives reflected the love that was in their hearts for Jesus. As they watched Him, because He was the one who had taught them. He was the one who had helped shape them. He was the one who helped transform their lives. They had great respect and honor for Him. They loved Him. There was also the evil-looking faces in the crowd. Faces, you know, with squinty eyes that that were skeptical about everything. They were looking on, waiting for him to say one wrong word. To make one mistake. The Sadducees, the Pharisees. They were there. The keepers of the law. The spiritual leaders. But Jesus had gained so much popularity... They were losing their grip on power. And so now he had to be dealt with because if they lost their power, they would lose it all. They're afraid of Jesus, full of jealousy. And so they watch him as he rides in on the donkey. The Romans, oh, they were there This was the big Passover. Man, if if an uprising was going to happen, it was going to happen when the place was crowded. They had to look for that. They were fearing revolt and they were watching for any sign of rebellion against Rome. And they were ready and waiting to crush it. To crush out any uprising. But now Jesus is descending. Coming down on the donkey off of the the Mount of Olives and heading towards the gate at Jerusalem on this dusty road, across the brook, toward the gate, and the multitudes were crowding and watching him. And I wonder how the apostles were thinking about this event. Were they reacting to all of this? I mean, I've always thought Judas was probably ecstatic Basking in the reflected glory because Judas wanted an earthly kingdom, probably more than the rest. Oh, this was Jesus' moment. He was coming into his own. He was going to have a kingdom finally. And I would imagine that Peter walked along there with an expanded chest. Probably a hand on the sword just in case. You know, just in case somebody got close to Jesus. I'm ready to defend. Probably thinking to himself, maybe it actually was worth leaving the fishing nets and the boats. Maybe at last we're going to get what we deserve. Oh, possibly Thomas was there, a bit skeptical about everything. Wondering what was going to happen next. Maybe Andrew was overwhelmed by all these crowds. Andrew was the one who brought people to Jesus one by one. And now look at all these people that are coming out to meet Jesus. They're coming here. We don't even have to go bring them. They're coming to him. What a great scenario. Look at them all. And how about James and John? Oh, We want to be in your cabinet, Jesus. We want to be your your vice president and your secretary of state. We want to be on your left and on your right and hold positions of authority and power. They were all there in Jerusalem. Loving faces. Sinister faces. Anxious apostles. I mean, the crowd that gathered along the road that day, they started to catch the thrill Something exciting was happening, and they began to shout and run alongside. Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Oh my goodness, they were caught up with the excitement of the moment. And, folks, we can be caught up in the excitement of the moment. Go to a ball game, go to a worship service. We get caught up in the excitement. Of the moment. When the people saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem that day, they knew that something exciting was happening. They knew that Jesus was riding like the Messiah was prophesied on a colt that had never been ridden before. They saw this as a sign that he was the Messiah. And, th- and they thought it meant that they would be free <laughs> from the Romans. From all that oppresses them. You know, that we would be free from the Romans. And they thought that, that it meant that Jesus was coming to be their king. A coronation service was, was, celebration would happen soon after that. That, they, that he was going to be the king. That he would be the one on the throne. They got caught up in the excitement of the moment, celebrating, rejoicing at the picture that was in their mind. Oh, you know, people are so fickle. We're never happy. If the weather's nice, it's too hot. If it's raining, it's too wet. If the air conditioning's working, it's too cold. If it's not, it's stuffy. We can never be happy. The people were excited about what the picture that was forming in their mind, a picture of a king who would save them. Someone who would deal with the Romans, of, a, of the birth of a nation reborn, you know. Hey, we, we want to get to be that great nation and be free, to be that mighty nation that, that runs the world. And so they celebrated, they danced down the street, they shouted Hosanna. And then in just a few short days, those same voices that were shouting Hosanna were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Because their expectation was not met. They learned that the picture that was developing in their mind was not the picture that Jesus was painting for himself. See, the dreams of that Palm Sunday, they were soon turned into stark realities of the betrayal, of the trial, of the crucifixion. Their dreams were paraded down the streets of reality. See, the reality of the situation was Jesus was not the kind of hero that they hoped he would be. Jesus was not the kind of king that was going to lead an earthly army. Jesus would not deliver the Jews from the Romans. And their dreams of who Jesus was turned into the reality of Jesus as a heavenly Messiah, which they could not comprehend. When it came right down to it, they didn't get it. See, even Jesus, according to Luke's gospel, as he rode into Jerusalem, he wept for his beloved city. He knew the dreams of this day would turn into the reality of pain and death and suffering. During the week that followed this great triumphant ride into the city, Jesus spoke of the realities Of who he was. Don't forget. He cleansed the temple. The very next day. He told of the temple's destruction. He told of the coming of the son of man. He told them he came to die. In a sense he shattered the dreams of the people that day. He told of the reality of what was to come, the reality of death. The crowds of Good Friday turned against Jesus for one reason he didn't fulfill the dreams they had for him the Sunday before. Jesus had them see the reality of who he was, not an earthly king, but a heavenly king. He was not a warrior who had come to destroy the Romans, but Jesus was a warrior who would come to destroy death. Oh, hallelujah, that our king conquered death. He shattered the dreams of the people. He gave them a taste of reality, and for that, the people turned against him. See, he painted a picture of a suffering Messiah. A Messiah who would suffer for the sins of all the people. And the people cried, crucify him! Because they could not understand that he was to be a suffering Messiah. He didn't fulfill their expectations. And they felt like he let them down. They wanted a warrior king who would lead them into battle, but Jesus was the lamb who was to be sacrificed. The people missed the point, and they were angry. And when our expectations are not met, we get angry. I want to say this how about us? Do we get the point of why Jesus came? To suffer and die for us. Or are we more kind of like this? You know, a bunch of boys one summer afternoon playing in a little league ball game. They're playing this ball game, and one little guy comes up to the plate, and the coach gives him the signal for a sacrifice bunt. You know, he gives him the signal. He's, if I brush it twice, that means bunt. He gets up to bat and he takes three good cuts at the ball. Big ones. Big swings. Strikes out. Heads back towards the dugout and the coach comes running out to him. He says, didn't you get my signal? You were supposed to sacrifice bunt. What happened? He said, well, I really didn't think that you meant it. I didn't think that you meant it. I mean, is that how we react to Jesus? We really don't think you meant to be the suffering Messiah, that we are going to follow in you, that we are going to follow you down that road? I mean, if, if our Lord and Master was crucified, what outcome can we expect other than that? Oh, Do we understand that instead we get a Messiah who gives us power, all right, but a whole new kind of power. The power of suffering love. The power of suffering love. I mean, it's a power that looks me in the eye and forgives my sin. Forgives my fear, forgives my anger, forgives my resentment and my frustration, and forgives my prejudice. It's a power that didn't assert itself over and against me, but actually died for me. It's a power that sets me free from all which is within me that dehumanizes me and others. It's a power that loosens my grip on all of the expectations and even allows me to see Christ's face in the least and most lowly people on this planet. It's a power that relates in grace and invites me to join him in being one of his special grace givers. It's a power that assures me that I don't need to be afraid of suffering. (laughs) That I don't need to be afraid of self-love. Because it's the only way when I give that love, it's the only way that I will ever fulfill my humanity and find my purpose and experience true joy and peace is to give the love that He has given me to someone else. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, he wrote this. He said, God allows himself to be edged out of the world and onto the cross. And that is the way, the only way in which he can be with us and help us. Only a suffering God can help. Because we suffer. We need someone who suffers with us. See, at the parade, it was pretty trendy to praise, to offer praise. Everyone was doing it. Christians today, we celebrate the grand entrance into Jerusalem. And next Sunday, Christians will celebrate Easter and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Many of the worshipers in attendance on these days are oblivious to what happened during that week. We tend to miss out on the suffering that happens in between. We get the false impression that Christianity moves from celebration to another celebration. But, folks, there is a week of agony that has gone on in between these celebrations. There is a beating that takes place. There is a crucifixion that takes place. There is a death that takes place in between the celebrations. See, if we celebrate Jesus, we must celebrate him in humility as the one who comes to die for our sins. Not as the one who comes to bring us glory. We need to celebrate Him as the one who gives His life for the kingdom of God, not as the one who came up to set up the kingdom of David. See, the crowd shouts Hosanna, thinking that Jesus has come to save them from their political enemies. And I want you to listen to this very carefully. What we need most is for Jesus to save us from ourselves. I mean, human nature and aspirations change little over the years, and this account reveals that we still need saving. From, I want to say three things. The first one is this we must be saved from a petty nationalism that divides the world into these tiny enclaves set over against each other. I mean, Jesus doesn't come to satisfy and fulfill anyone's political agenda. As our judge, he may condemn us as he did the temple in Jerusalem. But amazingly, people still drape Jesus in nationalistic flags and assume that he endorses their political slogans as well as to accomplish them. But the one who comes to Jerusalem comes as the king of the entire world. He came to save all people, all nationalities, all people groups, everyone. Because we are his creation and he loves us. His people are not confined to one nation. His people and his love reaches beyond all borders and all races. Secondly, we must also be saved from a hot and cold faith that abandons Jesus at the first sign of trouble. Oh, how we need to serve Jesus in difficult times and places. Jesus does not welcome the cheers from the crowds who will not pray with him in the darkness on, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or they won't go with him to an even darker hill called Calvary. He has little use for those Christians who show up once a year when the cheering starts around Easter. And he desires those who will endure to the end even when faced with unspeakable suffering. Oh, come on, let's give a little suffering for the cause of Christ. No, preacher, we just want you to tell us what we want to hear and we want our ears tickled and we want to walk out of here and feel good about ourselves when we haven't done squat for the, for the cause of Christ in the past year. No. He desires those who will endure to the end and be with him through the suffering, through the pain, See, we must be saved from the foolish expectation of glory so that we can see God's power truly, that was truly affected on the cross. I say this with all of the love. There is no glory here for us. As we serve, As we minister in the name of Jesus Christ, there is no glory here for us. We do it for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's it. Jesus' method of evangelism was tell them early on, it's going to cost them everything. And if we're doing it right, we're going to be persecuted for Him. If we're not being persecuted we may not be doing it right. See, God does not win by sending armies into bloody battles, but by sending His only Son to the cross. As a king who gives His life for others, Jesus reigns with a kind of power that truly earthly kings cannot match. The crowds on that first Palm Sunday, they wanted a warrior king But Jesus came as a suffering Messiah. And Jesus came as one who would die on the cross for the sake of all humanity. Let me land this plane. That crowd missed the point. The crowd thought they knew, but they didn't. How about us? Do we get it? Do we understand? Is Jesus the suffering Messiah for us? A parade gathers, and we see Jesus coming. But what will you do? What will you do? What will I do as we see Jesus coming? Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank You for Your Word and I thank You for loving us so much that You gave us Your Son. I pray, Father, that even in this moment that we would recognize the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us as the suffering Messiah, that He came and He was ridiculed, He was spit upon. They beat Him. They put a crown of thorns on His head. They mocked Him. They gave Him a robe of scarlet and and beat Him with with branches and and rods, Father. They, they, They scourged Him. They caused Him to bleed. They pulled His beard out. Father, He was led like a sheep to slaughter so that we would receive the opportunity to know You. So that our sins would be atoned for, that it would be paid for. Father, I can't imagine that love, that deep that You would give Your one and only Son for that, for me, for others, that even while we are sinners, that He died for us. But God, Your Word says that You loved the world so much that You gave Your Son, that that any that believe in Him would not perish. But would have everlasting life. Father, there is no greater love than that. And Father, all that I can do is give you my all. Father, I pray that in this moment, Father, that we would repent of our sin, that we as your people would repent of our sin. Our sin of complacency, our sin of wanting comfort, our sin of of doing things our way, of not yielding to the Holy Spirit, of not being available for you to use. Father, of not being in and with you in your kingdom work. Father, I pray that you would help us to come back to you, to give our lives... So that others would know what a great and mighty God you are. Father, I pray that you would help us to give our time. I pray, Father, that you would help us to give our money, our resources. Father, I pray that you would help us to give our very lives to see others come to know you in a personal way. Father, thank you for loving us that much. And Lord, it is our desire to serve you. Forgive us where we fail you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.